and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for July 2013. I'm your host, Carlos. With me is your host, Ben, also known as BJ. And with us is JJ, who will be joining us in the future. Hello, JJ. Is it now the future? Yes. By the time will, people listen to this, it will be the future. Then I have joined you. We, I think we've officially decided to make our twosome a threesome, which is just more fun for everyone involved. Well, okay, so now I see you're... I see you're getting lessons from Kevin Smith. Uh, we recently got to see Professionals uh, podcast, and they began with a very uh, explicit story. So I, I see that you, you learned from that experience. Um, it's true. So um, we all got to go see Kevin Smith live here in Austin. Uh, it was on Thursday of last week. So what day would that have been? Um, the 25th? The 25th of July? Uh, mm-hmm. He was uh, at the Paramount Theater. Basically, Jason Mewes was touring his movie, the super groovy cartoon movie, which was better than I thought what it was going to be, but it still wasn't, like, spectacular. It was, it had some funny moments, um, and uh, we got to watch the podcast that they do afterwards, the Jane Silent Bob Get Old, which is their real-world type of uh, Jason Mewes going through therapy to, to stay sober and stuff like that. It was all very funny. I thought the podcast was extremely hilarious. Yeah, I thought it was really good, um, and cool to see somebody else do a podcast and kind of see how they do it. And then, yes, and uh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I was going to say afterwards. Afterwards, uh, these two got to go and meet uh, Kevin Smith and Jay and the other eight people who got to meet them. So how you was can, it? You can see it on our Twitter account. We have pictures of us, uh, and we're wearing the shirts for coming out of the basement. It's you know, and we actually got a lot of questions from Kevin about it. And I offered to run D and D for Jason Muse. It was actually. In a couple of the uh, podcasts that Kevin does, like Fat Man on Batman, where he meets and talks with some of his uh, real-life uh, heroes like Kevin Conroy and Stanley and stuff like that, he always talks about how meeting a hero can be a very dangerous thing because they might not meet your expectations, but when you meet a hero that does meet your expectations, it's a pretty special thing. And I will say that Kevin Smith was very cordial, very nice, um, very conversational. He was everything I expected him to be, and it was kind of it met my expectations. Yeah, I, I felt like he was kind of very true to himself. Uh, the way you hear him in the podcast is just kind of who he is. Um, I, I'm sure he puts up some sort of front. I mean, I'm sure he's a little bit different at home, but uh, but he just seemed very genuine and uh, seemed happy to see us and uh, genuinely interested in our in our podcast and. Uh, that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, it may have been all fake, but you know. Uh, good acting otherwise i do have to admit though that i uh had never watched a kevin smith movie uh oh. until two days beforehand and uh so anyway i uh i got kind of uh acclimated to the kevin smith world two days before i really enjoyed clerks and uh uh the other one that I watched, what was it? Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I was like, ah, that's uh, got some funny points in it, but uh, probably not something I would normally watch. <laughs> Kevin and I, I uh, we we shared a moment, as as they say, right? In, in Chasing Amy, they talk about you know we shared a moment. Um, I talked about how I kind of got into podcasting for two reasons: one, because of Kevin Smith, because I listened to his podcast; but two, I was originally trying to get my father to podcast with me, right, while he was still sick, and um, unfortunately, he wasn't up for it. He had uh, uh, four-stage lung cancer, and by the time that we were starting to kind of get things around, he just didn't have the lung capacity to podcast. And he was talking about how he wished he'd always podcast with his father, so he had. Um, memory, you know, he had something he could listen to of conversations with him, and so him and I had a really good moment where we connected about that. 
It was awesome. It was pretty so cool. I have, I have a confession. I have never heard a Kevin Smith podcast. So I've watched all, all those movies. I think I've seen most, if not all of his movies, but I'll have to go back and listen to his podcast because the man is funny. Uh, and his, his like, ex, uh, extemporaneous speaking there was, was really good, and he talked a lot, and he was funny while he was talking. Have you uh, ever so seen I'll, on Netflix the Evening with Kevin Smith specials? No. So he does these things where he tours and does QAs around university campuses, and someone will ask him a question, and the question will end up being like this 20 to 30 minute rant about something that he experienced in Hollywood. And they end up being more like stand-up comedy than they are Q&A sessions, right? And the, the ironic thing is he's known for playing Silent Bob, and the dude just can can tell a story, spin a, you know, a tale unlike any other. He's a really good storyteller in that uh, regards. And he brings that to a lot of his podcasts where he can easily tell a story and, and be very engaging in that regards. That's why when we saw him and Jason Mewes led with the story, he was kind of you know excited and, and um, you know thrown off, off guard because usually he's the one who has to kind of carry the podcast and tell the stories and keep people engaged. Yeah, I think so, you yeah. see that. Sorry, I think you see that in his writing, too. I mean, just having watched Clerks for the first time, just the dialogue in that movie is just amazing. I mean... Keeps you enthralled with with uh, with a storyline that maybe might be ho hum, but in actors that you kind of go, well, definitely this was the first time they've acted, or it seemed that way. Um, and and the dialogue in that movie was just amazing. I mean, it just kept me enthralled through the through the whole hour and a half, two hours. So since he pretended such interest in the podcast, is he going to get on here and listen to 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 us trash him now? Is that the idea? No, not at all. I mean, I would I would be surprised if if he even remembered us if we were even a blip on his radar. He so. did not mention us the next day in his uh, HBO. So and uh, and and for good reason, right? You know, we're we're uh, uh, there's I, I bet you there's tons of people who come up to him like, dude, we made a podcast because of you, right? I did. Yeah, notice- there was actually someone in the crowd who did that. Yeah, exactly. Several. There, was there, actually, was, there was at least yeah. one or two. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a bunch of people who got up during the Q&A part, and like their only real question was, can I get a picture with you, dude? <laughs> yeah, and, and, he, and he said, yeah, come see me after the show. So, so uh, when you went backstage, did you see those guys? No. Basically, a bunch of those guys were kind of turned away by the Paramount staff. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of the reason was is that for... Kevin to do that stuff, they have to keep like security back there and stuff. And the gist that I got from them is that a lot of the Paramount guys wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And so they were only letting people who paid for the backstage passes because the backstage passes were really expensive. Right. Yeah. And and two, they were, what, a half hour, 45 minutes late because they had to drive from Dallas or something like that. Yeah. So everything got started late. Paramount people were ready to go home. So I can kind of understand that. Cool. Yeah. So in the you know since it's been a few months since we've uh, since we podcasted, I think we've completely forgotten how to podcast, which is okay because we didn't know how to begin with. Uh, so people probably won't notice any difference. But that said, since it's been how many months, we have tons to talk about. Uh, where do you guys want to start? I think we should start chronologically. And the last thing that we were really geared for as an event, as a coming out of the basement event to podcast about, would have been Iron Man three. Because we did that, we did that whole thing together as sort of a coming out of the basement event together, right? That's right. So to kind of set the scene here, this is going to be about three months ago almost. God, it's really it really is that long ago. 
we went together for the Iron Man 3 marathon. Uh, the Alamo Drafthouse was doing an Iron Man marathon where they did Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Avengers, and then at the end they did they premiered Iron Man 3. So uh, I brought my back support, and uh, they were handing out free Iron Man comics. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I brought my tablet. Um, I think you guys brought a whole bunch of stuff for, in preparatory fashion. I brought blankets and pillows and stuff, and we, we did the whole um, marathon. And uh, I brought I just, my wallet. I guess, I guess I had my wallet. Yeah, didn't we take turns buying cookies for all of us? Like, yeah, we, we each bought a round of cookies. That's right. Yeah. That's actually one of the things I remember most about that day. <laughs> really? That's what you remember most about that day? Well, you know, uh, I'll let you give your, your impression of the movies and stuff later on. But, yes, that is one of my strongest memories, and I will I will explain that a little bit more later on. <laughs> okay. So from my perspective, um, first of all, I, I know a lot of people kind of hate on Iron Man 2. I actually really enjoyed Iron Man 2, and I still think it's a strong movie within the series. Avengers is just Avengers. You can't detract from that at all. Now, as I present this opinion of Iron Man 3, I go, I do so fully realizing, first of all, spoilers. Right? I don't, it's been out forever now. If you haven't seen it, then there's something wrong with you. So I feel like I don't need to, I shouldn't have to need to do this, but spoilers. Um, Iron Man 3 is the blockbuster movie of this summer. I don't think any movie so far has made as much money as it has. It's like 1.3, 1.2 billion at this point. Um, a very solid entry for both Marvel and Disney. Ultimately, out of all the movies we saw, I think that one was the weakest. Um, I, I've been trying to keep my my opinions pretty concise, but it really comes down to I thought it had a weak second act uh, with Tony Stark doing kind of a MacGyver thing, and I did not like the twist with the Mandarin, where he's not actually the Mandarin, he's an actor play, portraying the Mandarin, and it's this kind of like, oh, gotcha. And then we find out at the end... Um, the dude that Guy Pierce is playing is actually the Mandarin and the other guy because he's got the Mandarin tattoos and blah blah blah. So I, I didn't like it. I felt it kind of made the Iron Man three just like all the other Iron Mans, where there's some really smart guy who's as smart as Tony, and the only way to prove he's as smart as Tony is he has to defeat Tony. That's what Iron Man one was. That's what Iron Man two was. I was really looking forward to a story about the concept of terrorism because that's what the first movie was about. The concept of terrorism and how a super like uh, suit like the Iron Man suit it can't fight it. It's it's the same problems we have with our modern military. You know, no matter how awesome your technology is, how do you fight an underground terrorist group like that, right? And it completely ignored a lot of the plot elements that was set up in the first movie regarding um, the uh, the the Ten Rings organization, um, which was established in like the first. 30 seconds of Iron Man 1, they established this Ten Rings organization. It was this, you know, precursor to Mandarin, and they completely dropped that. So that's my mini Iron Man 3 rant out of the way. So I'll give uh, my reaction to Iron Man 3. I think that it suffered for the way that we saw it. That was one problem because, you know, we got to see Iron Man 2. We got to see all that build up, or Iron Man 1, sorry. We got to see the Avengers and just the incredible movie that was the Avengers. And then we had Iron Man 3 which was uh, in some ways a lot goofier than, uh, than any of the other movies. Uh, and uh, it, I also, I mean, I was a fan of Iron Man as, as a kid, and I thought that the Mandarin, you know, as a kid, I really liked the Mandarin character and the concept of the Mandarin in the comics. And, um, and I realize now that, that, of course, that that character is incredibly problematic for a lot of different reasons. But um, it is, it was still, I was a big disappointment because I thought, you know, hey, they can try to deal with those issues and somehow, you know, 
talk about them and explain them and use film as a medium to kind of look at those issues of the concept of like the yellow peril and these kinds of things that have been discussed before uh, in, in other venues. And I thought this was an opportunity to go and like kind of re-envision the Mandarin as a um, – you know, a really powerful kind of villain character with his own motivations and whatever. And that didn't happen at all, right? Ben Kingsley. They had Ben Kingsley playing it, and I think that was one of the biggest disappointments for me. They had this incredible actor, you know, playing the Mandarin, and it was ended up being a joke. And that was kind of frustrating. That said, I did see Iron Man 3 again a little bit later on, and uh, with Holly, because uh, Iron Man is actually a character that Holly will go watch, and so I'm going to take every advantage to go to the movies and watch the superhero movie with Holly. And, um... It was more enjoyable the second time around, I think, for me. Uh, one is that it was funny, and uh, and there were parts of it that I think were funny, and, and it worked a little bit better after I knew about that horrible disappointment there at the end for me. Uh, I think, JJ, okay, JJ, before I go into another rant, what, what were your thoughts, JJ? Well, here's my deal. I, I had never been a huge Iron Man fan until the movies came out, so... Uh, for me, Iron Man 1 was probably the, the best. Iron Man 2 was a close second. I still really enjoyed Iron Man 2. Um, and Iron Man 3 was just a huge letdown for me. Um, not knowing who the Mandarin was or even that he was going to be in this and not having that build up at all. Um, opposite of you, my favorite part was the MacGyver part in the middle when he makes a relationship with the kid and... And, uh, he's coming back from, from being knocked out, knocked down and everything. Um, I was like, oh, cool. He's gonna, he's gonna come back. He's gonna A-team this whole thing and, and, uh, make his stuff and, and come back and, and do some cool stuff. And then the biggest letdown for me was the, the fireworks of Iron Man suits at the end. I just thought that was super cheesy and just uh, I just but by that time of the movie I was just like all right what's coming next you know I just uh, that to me that that's just it it's the worst of the three for me um, and uh, but again I don't have that background didn't know who the Mandarin was so that wasn't really a letdown for me um, unfortunately the biggest letdown was giant suits billions of suits blowing up. Yeah, that was awkward. It kind of felt very self-destructive in nature. Like it was felt like they were trying to end the Iron Man saga by saying, "All right, well, he's no, you know, blowing up Iron Man and all of his suits and blah blah blah." In the end, picks up a screwdriver and he's like, "You know, I don't need the suits because I am Iron Man." It's like, okay, whatever. And I think part of that was in reaction to whether or not they didn't know if Robert Downey Jr. was coming back to the role. And we just found out recently that he has signed up for Avengers 2 and Avengers 3. He hasn't signed up for any additional Iron Man movies that we know of. It's probably because he's getting pretty expensive now, because he's now like the highest paid actor in Hollywood at this point. Um, and, and so I felt it was kind of in reaction to that. In more to what Carlos was talking about, I went when I went up to Redmond, I, I saw it again in theaters. And I think you're right, Carlos, that... And, and I've heard this online before. If you take it as an isolated movie, it's pretty good. My problem with that is is that part of what they're trying to accomplish with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not an isolated movie-going experience, and that mm-hmm. it needs to play into the whole of the cinematic universe. And I feel that in in contribution to that cinematic universe, it's a very weak entry, and it doesn't progress the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all, and it doesn't fit in well with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that's where a lot of my problems come from. So that's 
that's the sum total of my experience with Iron Man 3. I mean, we, as much as I don't like it, like I said, I, I precursored the, the opinion, it is the highest making movie this summer, so no matter what I think, it's making gangbuster dollars for Marvel and, and Disney, and they're going to proceed with it. And it's really, I think part, part of, you know, the, the Avenger success and then Iron Man 3 success, that's where we're seeing this, like, domino effect where we see that DC is now ramping their own cinematic universe after the success of Man of Steel. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to do World's Finest, we're going to do The Flash, we're going to do Justice League. And um, I think, is it Sony that owns the the uh, uh, the rights to X-Men? X-Men, yeah. And Sony's even talking about doing their own cinematic universe with their, their uh, X-Men rights, right? So they're talking about, you know, we just had the Wolverine come out, and I saw that, and that was really good. I really enjoyed the Wolverine. And now they're talking about, you know, we've got uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, and they're starting up X-Force, and they're doing the same thing. You know, there's little, like, um, hints that the next movie at the end of their movies now. So everyone's trying to mimic the Marvel success and, and build their own cinematic universes. So it's doing nothing but good for us as a movie-going audience to see these larger universes come to life through multi, uh, multi-movies that are all connected, so... All in all, I think it just it benefits that experience. It's just as in that isolated movie within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it was a weak entry or a weak addition. But we then got to see, I thought, what was a much better movie, um, and that kind of segues us to Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, has mm-hmm. everyone seen Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh, yeah. Carlos, you've seen that, right? Yeah, I have. Okay. So... I'll, I will take backseat this time, and I will let uh, uh, Carlos. Why don't you go ahead and give us your impressions of Star Trek Into Darkness? So once again, spoilers, because I know there are some people who have not seen Star Trek Into Darkness. Can we just I know do Holly hasn't seen it? <laughs> spoilers for the entire like episode. Yeah, like we're going to be talking about all of these movies, so, so big spoilers tag for the entire uh, episode for everything. So the uh, I enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, I liked it better than I think uh, the first entry actually in, in the new reboot series. Uh, I, I think there were issues with it. Um, I and I think it's received some legitimate criticism about its treatment of females in some ways and the female characters that came out of it compared to the male. And I, I completely see that watching it. Um, the I really liked Benedict Cumberbatch. I have never seen Sherlock. It is on my list of things I absolutely must see. And after seeing the movie, I really want to go back and watch that even more now. Uh, I thought he did a great job as, and of course the big spoiler, as Khan. And uh, I was really impressed with him and his ability to perform as an action star. Uh, I I thought that it was a fun movie. I definitely want to see it again. Um, and don't tell Holly, but of course I will buy it when it comes out. So, <laughs> Will she not approve? She'll hear it. I'm just kidding. She'll hear this and she'll know. I'm, I'm I was going to say, this won't be um, a mystery to her. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, but, uh, no, what, what did you all think? I thought it was excellent. Uh, Melanie went with me. That's my wife, uh, for those of you that don't know. Uh, she loved it, too. She's been a big Star Trek fan and uh, didn't even notice the plot holes until I think it was it was BJ that, that kind of, said, oh yeah, there was huge plot holes in that. And I was like, what? Yes. Oh, whatever. There's not. And then and then they mentioned a few of them, or you guys mentioned a few of them, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that. But, uh, right. uh, but I mean, you can really look past that. But my big deal was the attention to detail that they, they played in that movie. I mean, from just the color combinations, the cinematics, to 
to the fact that everybody that had graduated from Starfleet Academy wore a Starfleet Academy ring in that movie. I was just like, wow, that's, that's such amazing attention to detail. Um, action packed from beginning to end and, uh, just really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. Uh, JJ Abrams, um, is become sort of the, uh, the herald to geekdom, um, and, and he's displaying an amazing ability to pay homage to source material, but then really make sure that it's updated and crisp for the next generation. I think, again, I agree with all you guys. I love the movie. It has its flaws, absolutely. I completely agree that its its treatment of, of female characters is not on par. Um, I think part of that, though, is the source material, which... Actually, it's not. The source material is much better than that was, actually. Uh, there's oh, there's wait, great wait, comparisons online. Wait, yes, even the 60s version. No, no, yeah. no. I'm going to call... Because I've been re-watching the 60s version a little bit, and I'm going to call mm-hmm. slight bullshit to that, because let me tell you how sexist the 60s version was. It was absolutely, ridiculously sexist, right? So I, I know what you're talking about with with the, the source material, but I, I feel that what you're referencing kind of picks and chooses different sections that is pro-feminist characters. There are plenty of examples where it is, you know, a bit more, you know, in the... You know what, though? I I will disagree with you, because even picking and choosing, because even the fact that you can pick and choose that in that, you have a much harder time doing that in Star Trek Into Darkness. There have been some really interesting comparisons about the two, and I think that is my my one big criticism. And and like I said, I I said, I I prefaced it with, I believe... some of the problem is the source material, not all of it, and also, not and all. And also, it. it's and also it's 2013. Fair enough, you're absolutely correct, and that doesn't excuse it. Uh, my other problem with the film is that it is way too hyperactive. It doesn't. One of my things that I really enjoy from a storytelling perspective is I like it taking its time to establish characters, establish scenery, um, let us know the mood of a scene or something like that. And it feels like it's rushing me through. It's like when I used to live in Japan, and if you went to any of the big cities, they try to rush you through the uh, the train, so they just shove you onto the train, and, and you know, getting through any downtown area was just a pain in the ass. It felt like I was being rushed through that movie. Right? Every scene went by so fast. Everyone's running everywhere. And, and you never really get a chance to catch your breath and really enjoy any scene or anything like that. I think the only time they really let you kind of pause and enjoy scenery is during, like, monologues with Benedict Cumberbatch because he really can choose some scenery and he can really command some presence, right? Yes. And so... Totally agree. Yeah, lots of plot holes. Um, the whole thing about, you know, the super blood... And why did we need to catch Khan if they had, you know, another bunch of guys on ice that they could have easily, you know, there's, but the teleport, yeah, the, the teleporting across the universe stuff, the, yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's just a, like a, a do sex machina, you know, type of system to just move the story along. They, they, writers use that when they get stuck and they don't know how to, you know, move something along and, and they're like, well, you know, we did it in the first movie, so we'll just go ahead and do it again in this one, right? And okay, I mean, it's not, crisp and it's not clean storytelling but it kind of moves the story along and that's fine I got no problems with that um, I, I think one of the things I really will give them credit for however is doing the flip flop of the uh, Spock uh, death in, in the original and then making it Kirk this time and having Spock be the one who yells out Khan mm-hmm. I, I thought that yeah. was very good yeah had I known they were going to do that beforehand I would have I would have been um dreading it because that has the potential to be so bad. But actually, no, I was actually pretty happy with the way it came out. So I'm glad I went into it not knowing that. 
Yeah, they did that really well. And I think someone mentioned that it wasn't appropriate because they didn't feel like Spock and, and Kirk had a close enough relationship for that to happen. But I had to disagree with them. I, I don't forget who I was talking about with that, but I had to disagree with them because I feel that they established enough of a relationship both in the first movie and then the ramp up within this movie that, you know, I, I feel the relationship was close enough for, for Spock to have that kind of reaction. I mean, do you feel it was rushed, Carlos and JJ? Do you guys feel like that might have been rushed? It was an action uh, movie. I mean, for me, I mean, that's that's what it was. Um, it it in some ways it didn't have some of the I think some of the explanation and, and introspection that that uh, Star Trek has, which was uh, Lavar Burton's criticism of it. Right? He said that uh, he said that the film was missing Gene Roddenberry. Yes. Right? Um, and, or something along those lines. And and but that's a double edged sword because one of the things that like Star Trek: The Next Generation is criticized for is lawyers in space. People think it's too introspective and and too um, contemplative, right? So, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it, it, like I said, I wanted a slower pace, right? But you know, there's there's that other side of the coin that that is also you know the the series gets very criticized for. I I do think that they spent enough time establishing that relationship, and I think they had the the Leonard Nimoy uh, and what's the new Spock's name, right? Um, the guy from Heroes, um, Zach- yeah. Zachary Levy. Yeah, uh, yeah, Zachary Quinto. So, Quinto. and you have you have Leonard Nimoy telling Zachary, you know, hey, he's going to be your best friend, so you might as well just uh, get used to that now. And <laughs> what, lay back and just take it. Is that what yeah, he's telling? His yeah, yeah, he's, that's pretty much what he's what he's telling his younger version of himself. And and I think they do set that up enough that it, by the end you can you can see that friendship there. So let's let's discuss the sexist uh, aspects a little bit more because we kind of touched on that briefly. So we only have like two really strong female characters, of course, Ohura, um, who ends up you know being the communications officer. She gets her little like t- you know moment in the sun where she does the Klingon translation um, that doesn't go so well, and then they bring back um, the Doctor from episode from uh, Star Trek uh, Two. Star Trek Two. Yes, Dr. Uh, Carol Marcus, the uh, yeah. the creator of the Genesis Project, and really, her only scene in the movie is her in her bra and panties, and that's what everyone's really upset about. Right? Well, I mean, she had more scenes than that, but that's I understand, probably but that's what no, you remember. But I, that's my point, right? You know, she had plenty of scenes. You know, she, you know, they could have established more drama with her and her father because her father's really the one responsible for the whole mess in the first place. You know, RoboCop caused the problem there. Um. And I say RoboCop because her father, um, what's his name? The guy, he's the guy who played RoboCop in the uh, the original movies. Um, but they didn't really establish that you know relationship real well. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's ultimately what she ended up being is just that one scene. That that's that's what people remember the most for, and that's what people have the biggest problem with. And I completely agree. It wasn't. It, it, we go back to what uh, you were talking about. It wasn't Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek was very idealistic and presenting a world in which you know everyone was equal and on equal footing and stuff like that. And I believe that's where it misses the mark on that regards. It doesn't have that same sense of equality and that same sense of you know as a culture, you know, humanity finally kind of figured it out, right? Yeah, but in, even in Star Trek Two, I mean, she was the baby mama, right? She had 
Kurt's illegitimate son and never told him about it. And oh yeah, but she is a PhD, you know, a, a bioengineer baby mama. So even then, she was still pretty had some pretty good accolades to go on. Sure, I just I guess the correlation there is that I mean he used her before in the past, future, in whatever timeline thing. Um, and, you know, he kind of does the same thing now. I mean, he doesn't really use her in this one. That, that, no, I'm not no, even no, no. sure they, I'm not even sure they have a relationship yet. Although, I mean, maybe Star Trek 3, the, they will. Who knows? Carlos, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I think, uh, the people have expressed their displeasure to the writers, and the writers have responded some and seem to agree that there was an issue, so I think uh, I think they'll be more aware of it in the future, is okay. what I think. So, yeah, hopefully And I do happens. have to mention this, because if I don't, my wife will kill me. Her biggest problem with the movie, and this is going to seem very nitpicky, but she's a huge Star Trek fan. Her, her problem was at the beginning of the movie, where they're having that thing where they're kind of trying to stop the volcano... And they jump off the cliff and they swim into the uh, Enterprise, which is under the water. She yes. every every time we bring this up, she always talks about how the N- NTC one seven zero one is it the A version? I don't I don't remember if it's the A version, but it wasn't. They weren't able to go um, planet side, right? They the the ship had to remain in space, um, and so she felt that that was not. In in um, the spirit of the original series, right? Because she was very concerned. Like she was like, the, the ship can't be planets. I would tear up. They couldn't do that until version, you know, whatever. And I completely understood what she was talking about. But then I had to point out to her is like, if you remember the original Star Trek, the, not not the like the, the the remake, the remake that uh, they did a couple of years ago. If I, if you remember that one, we saw them building the Enterprise planet side right? on that's the ground, yeah, where Kirk like drives up in the motorcycle, and she was like, "Oh yeah, well that's not accurate either." And I was like, "I know, but you know, they're they're making they were, some concessions." They were setting it up from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't your Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. No, it's certainly not. It's it's the hyperactive one. But again, I still found it pretty enjoyable. All right. So, any other last uh, last minute thoughts on Star Trek? I'm good to move on. I'm good. All right. What's our next movie? Uh, well, there's a lot of different movies that have come out. We can talk about Man of Steel. Let's hit Man of Steel. Um, so that's DC. You know, DC wanted to launch their universe with the Dark Knight series, but Nolan always intended that to be kind of uh, within a vacuum, and mm-hmm. and he kind of ended it that way or with that intention. The Man of Steel was sort of them testing the waters to see if there's interest again in the Superman movie and really to see if they can build their own cinematic universe like we were talking about in the Marvel sense. It costs a lot of money to make, and, I mean, it didn't make Iron Man money, but I think it ended up making, like, around $600 million. and so... Uh, yeah, it's gross. It is, I think, currently the number three movie uh, for domestic grosses behind Iron Man 3 and Despicable Me. Yeah. So it made more than enough to warrant further developing it. The reason DC is still nervous is because what was their last movie they tried to test the waters with? Was that Superman Returns? No, Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Oh, see, I'm sorry. What? What movie? Yeah, exactly. You're trying to block that one out. I can't can't hear you. Do you take Forget Me Pills? (laughs) Forgeticus. And so... That was DC kind of testing the waters to see if there's interest in another one of their superhero 
movies or another one of their superhero intellectual properties outside of, you know, because the, the Superman and Batman are their big money makers, right? And so they wanted to see if they could make any money off of another one. It, it was a very poor effort. They rushed it out. They didn't, you know, bake it long enough. You know, they didn't tell a, a very good story with it. I think it was miscast. Don't get me wrong. I like Ryan Reynolds. But I feel that was miscast, and, and he was not the appropriate character. The fans really wanted um, the uh, Nathan Fillion, the guy who plays Castle and was in Serenity. And Nathan Fillion wanted to play Green Lantern, right? And he even offered, I think he offered to take a like a lower cut or something like that, because he wanted to. And they, want, they didn't want to use him because they felt he was too old, and they really wanted to like build a uh, a series of movies, and they felt he was too old to start with. The interesting um, side note to that is Nathan Fillion really wanted to play Green Lantern so bad, he actually started voice acting Green Lantern in the DC animated universe. Mm-hmm. So if you watch like Doom, which is on Netflix, he's the voice of Green Lantern on that, which I think is really cool. But I, I think they would have been better off because Nathan Fillion fills that character better, right? There's mm-hmm. There's a difference between because you know they always talk about you know Hal Jordan's so cocky. Well, it's more than that. It's nuanced, right? Hal Jordan is more like a Han Solo type character, right? And Ryan Reynolds isn't that character. He's more just kind of a jerk, right? And and so a good looking jerk, he's still kind of a jerk. And he yeah he was miscast. And so uh, that and all the combinations. And now Ryan Reynolds is kind of blaming Green Lantern for the fall of his career and stuff like that, what, whatever. So uh, then, you know, and before that we had the uh, Superman Returns, which is, again, another, like, off the mark. It was so bad. It was so bad. You could tell Brian Singer was showing, like, a lot of love for the original movies with uh, Christopher Reeves and all that. And and so that's what it was. It was like it was supposed to be like quote unquote Superman three. It was picking up after Superman two, but it was weird and creepy, right? And too many like you know he never throws a punch in the movie, and the only real Superman esque things are him lifting up heavy things with the infamous John Williams song in the background. So you know, the da, 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 I'm lifting a shuttle now. I'm lifting an island of kryptonite. Da, 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 da. Really awkward. Too many that's catching. Catching a plane before it hits a football field. Yeah. Um, baseball field. One too, two. too many awkward, like, wide-angle scenes of, like, Lois having an intimate conversation and him, like, just in the background with his arm crossed wa- watching her. It was all just really bad. Yeah, creepy stalker Superman. Yeah. Uh, emo. It was emo stalker Superman. And so Man of Steel, you can tell, is a direct knee-jerk reaction to the negative response of Superman Returns. So hyperactive, and there's so much just, you know, edge of your seat, them, like him punching everybody in the face and, and destroying, you know, half of Metropolis and stuff. And that's the big controversy of that movie. So before I get into my part, I just wanted to hear from um, Carlos and, and JJ, you guys, what did you think of, of Man of Steel? Well, first of all, I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? But what I did do was I listened to the uh, Fat Man on Batman podcast with him and Ralph Garman, um, totally blasting that movie. Not so much Kevin, but but Ralph, uh, just blasting that movie out of the water. So at this point, I think I'll red box it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so, so that's fair. So for me, I liked 
the beginning part of the movie, actually. I really liked the beginning of the movie. I liked the Krypton part. I liked the part before that he knows his heritage and he's wandering around from place to place. I enjoyed that part. The rest of the movie, I could kind of leave it. And I will completely agree with you. I think... I always talk in forms of narrative structure. I think like a lot of superhero films, it suffers a lot of third act problems. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really like the whole like jittery... First of all, I, can we just dump the Born Identity shaky cam model? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> it is annoying the utter crap out of me. They have these like monologue scenes where, you know, the uh, Jor-El's talking about something, or Zod's talking about something, and no action's taking place, no one's punching anyone, and we still have shaky cam, and it's making me motion sick, and it's just ridiculous, okay? I get it that it was a gimmick for, like, Jason Bourne during action scenes and stuff like that, but it's getting out of control, and it needs to get reined in, because it's no longer adding anything to the experience, it's detracting from the experience. So, number one... That was a huge problem. They overused that gimmick, and it was, and it really tainted a lot of the film for me because I was just like, you know what, someone, I, I will pay the fifty dollars to get you a tripod or a Steadicam or something like that because holy crap, this is annoying. Whittle a stick, something. Yeah, something, whatever. Number two, they 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 tried to do a different narrative structure by telling um, a concurrent present day tale with flashbacks of him growing up. It kind of worked. But it needed to be done a little bit cleaner. It was a little bit too uh, spliced up, and it didn't always make sense what it was trying to accomplish. I agree. Either that, or it was too heavy-handed with what it was trying to accomplish, right? So, and that—that that was my big problem with the film in general. It was way too heavy-handed. I, I felt like they got a great actor to play his father, Pa Kent. I think Kevin Costner was a good cast. I think that they gave him bad direction for to play Pa Kent, though, because he was a lesson in conflicting ideals, right? Mm-hmm. In where he's telling his son constantly, like, when the world finds out about you, it'll change the world. You know, when, when you figure out who you want to be, it'll change the history of man. And he's saying that in one hand, and then, like, five seconds later, he's like, don't tell anyone who you are. Never reveal yourself. And I'm just that like, just... exactly, right? Wasn't that annoying? Yeah, that was really annoying. I found him, at ter- I mean, I, I, again, I agree, Kevin Costner was, is, is good. I mean, I think he's a good Paul Kent. His character annoyed the heck out of me. And, and, and the scene in which he died, Ralph Garman brought up a really good point, and, and it showed the conflicting tales of, of the original Superman, Christopher Reeves. Do you remember how Pa Kent dies in that movie? Heart attack. Mm-hmm. Heart attack, right? You know, his, his son comes, and he's, you know, running, and he beats the kids in the, uh, the car, and the kids stop, and like, you're such a freak, Kent, and he's just like, oh, shucks. And Pa Kent's like, did you really have to show off? You know, not really yelling at him, but he's like, did you really have to show off? And and he's like, I'm sorry, Dad. And he's like, race it to the top of the hill, Dad. And he runs up, and he's running at slow speed, and his dad's like jogging to catch up with him. And all of a sudden, he like grabs his left arm, and he's like, oh, oh no. And he just falls over dead. And that, what what Ralph Garman was talking about is that taught a very important lesson to, to uh, Clark that he needed to learn at that time. And it's like, no matter how strong you are, no matter how fast you are, you can't save everyone. There's nothing you can do to stop a heart attack, right? You can't dot, you can't jump in front of that bullet. You can't move that bus or whatever. There's nothing you can do to stop a heart attack. And he's absolutely right. That's a very important lesson for the Superman character to learn. However, in the Man of Steel version, how does he die? 
<laughs> really, uh, Superman by uh, by neglect kills him is my response to that. But no, he dies in a tornado that he could have been saving by his son. But he's like, no, you can't tell anyone. Exactly, and, and obnoxious. Kevin Costner has that thing where he's kind of waving off Clark. You know, he's like, don't show yourself, don't reveal yourself, and and he kind of just like accepts his fate, lets the tornado pick him up and spin him up, spin him off into oblivion, and it doesn't have the same impact that Paul Kent's death had in the original, right? It, and mm-hmm. I think they missed the mark on that. I don't think they really understood what the death of Paul Kent was supposed to represent to Superman. I think that they felt that just the death in, in, in and of itself was supposed to be impactful. And, and it's true, the death in and of itself is impactful, but it's how he dies that impacts him, right? So that was way off the mark. Um, go ahead. I have an interrupting my my least favorite part of the entire movie. So I actually I, I kind of enjoyed the, uh, the 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 female Kryptonian who was beating up people and, and fighting with him. Except then she has a line about how his morality is his weakness and evolution always wins and blah, which is a horrible horrible line and horrible horrible misunderstanding or misexplanation of evolution and morality and all that stuff. It's essentially just this this kind of anti-evolution line that had no place in the movie and was really kind of stupid. Well, um, can I can I expand on that for a second? Because th- you can. It's even worse than what you're painting it because you know. And again, spoilers for the episode. We find out that the uh, and this is actually in the comics. The people of Krypton are declining because they're no longer reproducing naturally. Instead, they're all just cloning off of these master. Um, Genes and it's they call it the codex and it's this you know skull of, of a Kryptonian an ancient Kryptonian and they just replicate all the cells off of him right and that's how they make all the babies they just clone off of this person so your your destiny's you know preordained you know you get the oh I'm going to be an engineer so you get all the engineer cells or DNA or I'm going to be a soldier so you get all the soldier DNA and stuff like that and then Jor El infuses you know he has a natural like the first natural birth in you know ten thousand years and him and in, in uh, his and I think it's Lana or or Lara, uh Whoever, um, they, they have the first natural birth in 10,000 years, and they infuse Clark with all the DNA of all Kryptonians so that he can be anything he wants, right? And so what I found so ironic about that, you know, they're talking about how his morality is his weakness and that, you know, evolution's on their side, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you guys have actually taken evolution out of the equation, right? By mm-hmm. constantly copying the same DNA over and over and over again and allowing for no change and no um, dynamic... Uh, um, you know, modifications of, of the, the, you know, there's DNA strands or anything like that, you've actually, like, retarded or, or eliminated all forms of evolution. So you can't actually claim that evolution's on your side because you guys are not evolved. So that's what I found so kind of really odd about that statement. Because you're right, it's not an understanding of what evolution is. Right. It's it was it was I really that that one line probably did more to annoy me than any other thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. And it's one of those I, like I, really bad lines that pulled me out of the movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly it, right. It broke my suspension of disbelief because I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This super intelligent race that can create like artificial intelligence, you know, holographic things. They, they don't understand what evolution is. This is the same race that can make spaceships to fly off a planet that's about to blow up, right? Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay, just checking. Mm-hmm. That's so, right. And, and I didn't understand what that line was supposed to, like, what impact it was supposed to have, right? You know, it's... Because she could have just said, your species is weak, 
right? Mm-hmm. That would have, you know, that would have had the impact. We're here, we're taking your planet, because you know what? You guys are weak and we're strong. That that accomplishes it and, it, and it's not, like, untrue. And that's the other problem I had. Like, they kept on, they, they initiate this huge world shaper, right? This, this um, terraformer. Mm-hmm. They're going to terraform Earth to becoming the new Krypton, right? But they establish in the movie that Krypton's, um, you know, the... Uh, the core is the, unstable or you know, they, because of the things they've been doing. No, 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 no. The uh, Like the ozone or whatever, the atmosphere of yes. Krypton is, oh, you yeah. know, makes Superman weak, right? So right. he's actually stronger right. than them because he's, you know, used right. to the sun and all that stuff. And right. and so I'm like, okay, so maybe, like, you know, trying to get used to, like, Earth's, like, atmosphere is, like, deadly to them, right? And all it takes is yeah, Jodgers. No. Zod goes out for like 20 minutes, does some deep breathing exercise, and he's like, oh, I'm good to go. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. I have the same reaction. I'm <laughs> like, why would you want to terraform this planet to be more like Krypton? That's ridiculous. Yeah. If I, if I had to just like, you know, like have some shortness of breath, like like for 20 minutes, I had to act, you know, like when you knock the the, the uh, air out of your lungs, right? You know, remember when you're young, you take a hard fall, and it would, you know, like you knock the breath out of you, and you'd be like, <gasps> you know, gasping. And I was like, if I just had to put up with that for like 10 to 20 minutes, and then afterwards, I'm essentially a god. Bring it on. I got no problem with that, right? Kick me in the face, whatever. But if I just got to spend 20 minutes of that, and then I can fly and lift up buildings and stuff like that, I got no problem with that. So, yeah, it was, that was really weird, too. And similarly, they like, like JJ mentioned, they have spaceships. In fact, they got the terraforming thing from another planet. All they needed was Superman. That's it. They didn't need to stay on Earth. They didn't need to deal with any of that other stuff. They could have just gone off somewhere else and made a new planet if that's yep. what they wanted to do. And there's no reason for them to stay on Earth at all. So I, I, yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to hear Kevin Smith's take on it now or Ralph Garvin's take on yeah, it. Yeah, you should listen to that. That that was actually stolen from Ralph Garvin. He uh, He's the one that mentioned that, hey, they have freaking spaceships. Why don't <laughs> they just leave the planet? Did he, um, yeah, no, I had the exact same response to that. So, so here's my fundamental thing with 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 Superman, and and some of this I get from Ralph Garman, and some of it I I've just thought of over the years. Is it, it's just hard for me to like Superman as much as say a Batman because he's impenetrable, he's unstoppable. I mean, even Krypton only just slows him down; it doesn't kill him. So. You know, how do you make a movie? How do you make a story based around somebody? I mean, what's what's well, his motivation? You know, well, sure. other than his relationships with other people on the planet. I, I got an opinion on this, but Carlos, I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I was going to say, well, this is what the movie did. They tried to make him Jesus. Yes. Oh, wasn't that um, that one scene so heavy-handed? There were lots of scenes that were very heavy-handed about making a parallel between Superman and Jesus. You know, his age at 33, his wandering, yeah. the scenes where he's basically crucified, you know, against the background, where he jumps out of the spaceship. You know, it's there was a lot of that. And that was actually, I mean, that also was kind of immersion ruining, and but it was also very deliberate. It was very deliberate. And, the the, and the one that heavy-handed. was the worst for me is, and, and JJ, you'll see this when you watch the movie, there's a scene where Zod like calls out to all the planet. He's like, uh, "Hey, you guys got a Kryptonian, and we want him. And if you don't give him to us, we're gonna kill all you guys, right?" So everyone's like, "Oh God, where's this dude?" And so Clark is having to kind of do a little soul searching. You know, am I gonna give myself up? He goes to a church and he talks to this priest. And I think they kind of set it up like the priest, like when he was younger, was like the one of the kids who was bullying Clark or something. 
And so Clark is talking to the priest, and the guy's like, hey, uh, what can I do for you? And Clark's like, um, yeah, that guy that the, the alien's looking for, yeah, that's me. And the priest is kind of freaked out. You know, he does this whole, like, gulp thing. And Clark is kind of, like, doing this, like, mental argument. You know, he's, he's verbalizing his thought process to the priest. And he's as he's talking about it, they show this, like, this shot of him, this wide-angle shot. And over the shoulder is Jesus, a stained-glass image of Jesus. And he's talking about how should he sacrifice himself for humanity because, you know, humanity's kind of bad, but he thinks Zod is worse. And I'm just sitting there going, um... That's wow. yeah. It was really, really heavy-handed to the degree of being a little disgusting, S- sacrilegious, even. I, I feel that like is, I don't. I, I don't have a, a stance on that. That so I'll, I'll let other people make that decision. People, people were kind of divided about that, but I mean, it was very deliberate. So deliberate that the marketers for Man of Steel created a website for Christian ministers to uh, use use Superman in their sermons and stuff like that. Uh, that's I forget weird. where it is. Yeah, so wow. there's actually a website out there uh, that Warner Brothers has about uh, Superman being like Jesus and using him to do stuff like that. Makes me want to see it even less. <laughs> so, and then let's let's get to the final problem: the sheer destruction at the end. And, and this will segue into my answer for your question, JJ. For how do you make, how do you challenge Superman? You don't challenge him through force of arms. You don't challenge him through, you know, being stronger or tougher. You challenge him by trying to threaten those around him, right? And that mm-hmm. goes back to that problem that we had with the death of Pa Kent. You can't save everyone, right? He will always try, right? So you get a villain who's not focused on on trying to kill Superman, but is focused on trying to harm all those around him, Lois Lane, Perry White, Metropolis, you know, innocent citizens, and, and Superman will kill himself zooming around, trying to save everyone, and as he's trying to save other people, that's when you hit him, because that's when he's weakest, because he's, he's always willing to sacrifice himself to save others. And that's what I thought the movie was going to be about, because Zod, as a soldier, should be smart enough to know... You know, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. He's we only got that at the very end of the movie when he's like, after like you know him and, and Superman are punching each other through buildings and these entire like skyscrapers come toppling and you know someone did an estimate that you know they mm-hmm. did two hundred billion dollars of damage and caused the death of around you know five million people or something like that. It's so only at the very end of all of this stuff where he has him in a headlock in a train station and Zod activates his laser beams and he's about to, like, toast, you know, like, three people. And Superman's like, no, 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 and he snaps Zod's neck. And everyone's like, uh, where was that when he was, like, destroying entire buildings and blowing up, you know, gasoline tankers and stuff like that? And you know, they started that a long time ago, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So... They really only touched on that weakness of Superman at the very end of the fight, and that's what I wanted to see. If you watch, mm. if you watch the animated movies, I think the best one would be Superman Doomsday. That's how Doomsday, you know, he's he's a you know a rampaging animal, but Superman ultimately gets most injured in his fight with Doomsday, trying to stop Doomsday from hurting other people, right? 
Right. And that's how you that's how you present that Superman tale. That's how you present that Superman fight and, to challenge him. And that's how Christopher Reeve's Superman started out, right? The nineteen seventy whatever Superman uh, or eighty early eighties. I can't remember which one it was, but you know he's got that choice between saving everybody or saving Lois. Well, that was the thing. Like uh, 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 Miss Tessmacher, right? Miss Tessmacher. Um, she was like, I'll let you go. I, I will take the kryptonite off you, but you have to promise to save my mother first, right? Mm-hmm. And he does. And he knows there's two missiles. One's going to be where Lois is, and one's going to be where Tessmacher's mother is. And because he's Superman, he always tells the truth. He always keeps a promise. He saved Tessmacher's mother's for, mother's, uh, his, the, her mother first, and then saves Lois, but he gets there too late. Mm-hmm. And that was ultimately more interesting. And they they use the cheat at the end where he spins the Earth, you know, around and reverses time and blah 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 blah. But again, you're absolutely right. They had that element in the first movie where he has to make that choice. You right. can't save everyone. And and he said he would, you know, do X, or he has to do X. So they they completely missed that mark. They they missed the dilemma of Superman when you're Superman, and everyone wants you to save them. Who do you save first? So, yeah, that's, I, I, I feel, it, it was almost like the Superman movie was made by people who never read Superman, right? Mm. And they don't understand the character, and they don't understand the dynamics between it. So, but, again, who are we to comment? It made a lot of money, and it's opening up the DC Cinematic Universe. They've already confirmed Man of Steel 2 will be the world's finest, the final meeting between Batman and Superman, there, there's already a lot of controversy about who they're going to cast for Batman because they're talking about bringing in this like 23, 24 year old kid from the Teen Wolf movie, uh, the Teen Wolf uh, TV show, mm-hmm. right? So, do you know who uh, Kevin Smith wants to play uh, Batman? Jason Mewes. John, <laughs> no, uh, John Hamm from uh, Mad Men. And, Interesting. And he likes him because, you know, he's got that very square jaw and he's got that dark hair and he's got that charisma and confidence. You can be very serious. But, again, he recognizes that the the studios would never go with John Hamm because he's like 40-something. And they feel like they can't build, right, a, uh, a series of movies around him. They want to get someone young so they can do a dozen movies. I saw a great comic strip about uh, Batman meeting Superman in the Man of Steel universe, and Batman was like, yeah, you totally destroyed your city and killed all those people. You're not allowed in Gotham. Yep. And then he concluded, yep. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. That's that, um, uh, they have that, that superhero cafe from How It Should Have Ended, and it's always uh, Batman and Superman like in uh, some coffee short joint. And it's always Batman like trying to get Superman to ask him somehow that would allow him to say, I'm Batman, right? That's what every uh, little episode is, so it's it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. John Hamm would make a good Batman. I think so, but again, it's this, this, this you know, the same problem we had with, with uh, Green Lantern. They want someone young enough to build a series of movies and do, like, six movies with, right? And And that's the problem we're having. And so... You know, that's the same reason Nathan Fillion wasn't casted for uh, Hal Jordan. It's the same reason they're not going to cast John Hamm or anyone that age to play uh, Bruce Wayne or Batman. So, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how they do. It's, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't have a lot of faith concerning how much of a train wreck Man of Steel was, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. I was... Uh, has, have you guys seen The Wolverine yet? No. Negative. Okay. I, I, so, I won't get into super detail with it. Just sufficient to say... I actually liked it. 
Um, I thought it was really good. My only problem was it had kind of a goofy boss fight at the end. But other than that, it was pretty good. I, I really had fun with it. So that's right, that's well, that's on my that's on my two C list. Yeah, it was that's a fair. thousand times better than the original X Men Origins Wolverine movie. Oh, that's good. good. Yeah, good, good. Any other movie news? Did you see World War Z? I did see World War Z. I what did. Do you think? Um, it was better than I thought it was going to be. That's probably the the nice thing I can say about it as well. <laughs> It wasn't great. It, it's hard to make a zombie movie in a world where The Walking Dead is a TV show and it's as good as it is. Right? So, I haven't really watched much of The Walking Dead, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I have read the book, World War Z, which I thought was great. It's a great, great zombie book. And this movie was not it, which it couldn't be, uh, because of the way that, that the, the book is. Uh, but it was it was weird. It was a very weird experience watching it, because you know that... I guess Brad Pitt was so, un- I guess he was a producer, was so unhappy with it that they made them film like the last 60 minutes again or something like that. So it went in production much longer than they thought it was going to. And it was okay. Go ahead. He, well, he was the big pushing force between behind this, right? Yes. He got the yes. rights for it. He was the one who really wanted to see it made. Um, and, and so, yeah. And, and he wanted it done right. And I completely agree. I've read the original ending online. The original ending online did not sound any good. And yeah, I agree with you. What they ended up going with wasn't perfect, but it was good. Yeah, right. it was better than the original ending they had filmed. I agree. Um, it was weird though because it, yeah, it was a zombie movie, but yet it was the slowest zombie movie I've seen, which is very strange. Like there were parts of it that just seemed to kind of drag on, and and, and that was not what I was expecting. Like I I, I saw a lot less uh, action that I was you know that was a movie I was expecting to be like this big action movie. And yes, there's violence and there's zombies and stuff like that, but not 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 at all like what I was actually expecting to see. Well, did you see the original remake of Dawn of the Dead by Zack Snyder? No, that was actually uh, again slow pockets of action intermixed with like very long stretched out scenes. Mm-hmm. Which is why I was kind of surprised Superman was so hyperactive because he can do scenes like that. He can do movies like that that have longer like scenes that are character establishing and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think my always my question, like the the way I judge a zombie movie is, do they do what I imagine myself, you know, would have done in in the same kind of survival situation? And I whispered to my wife, I was like, I know how you can stop them, right? You know, not. Outside of the whole, like, you know, we have to inject ourselves with a, you know, a, a disease that, you know, will kill us and make us untasty to the zombies, right? Mm-hmm. And and they they talk about, you know, they establish that the zombies are very sound sensitive, right? You know, that they're attracted to loud sounds. So I was like, all right, why don't you get a car battery, get some big speakers, blast some ACDC, coat the ground with kerosene or whatever, and as soon as you get enough of them all piled up, just light them all on fire, right? And I was like, you know, we're not going to see that. But sure enough, at the end, you see them do that. They they blast yep. some stereos in a stadium, and as soon as they get enough zombies, they just bomb the hell out of it. And I was like, all right, all right, they they do what I would have done. I'm happy. <laughs> That's right. Except for you know injecting yourself with incredibly virulent diseases. That was a stretch. I was like, you guys are really <laughs> going for a hail mary pass on that one. So. Yep. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was it was all right. It wasn't uh, you know if you watch it, JJ, I'd say red box it. Yeah, yeah. another it's red on, box. It's, it's another red box for me for sure. Yeah. Uh, Pacific Rim. 
I haven't seen it yet. It's on my it's on my to do list. JJ, have you seen it? Nope. So I will say, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Holly really enjoyed it, which again is kind of rare for an action movie. If uh, there's an anime series called Evangelion that uh, you know really big defenders of the film Pacific Rim will say, no, you know, it, it's not, you know, it, it's Evangelion, and I really like Evangelion, so I really like Pacific Rim. It really is Evangelion, though. There's enough, there's enough um, little Easter egg type things that even if uh, even if the the director wasn't uh, inspired by Evangelion, the screenwriters were. There's well, no thought, way, but it is. Mm-hmm. I thought Guillermo del Toro like came out and said that he'd seen Evangelion he and he's a fan of it. So, no, well, he said actually he said he hadn't seen it, or maybe he hadn't seen it at the time. He might have seen it now, but um, yeah, no, there's. Uh, there's definitely some little nods to Evangelion in it, uh, and maybe more than a little bit of that. Holly's seen Evangelion a lot more recently than I have, and uh, she saw it after she saw Pacific Rim. She rewatched it, and every episode she's like, yep, this was in Pacific Rim, this was in Pacific Rim. And like, not just like, yes, there's giant monsters and, and, and kaiju fighting, but really specific kind of people and relationships and events that, that, that come kind of come into the movie. I enjoyed it. I think Pacific Rim was a lot of fun. Um, I think uh, I won't talk about it too much, but I think it had some really great parts in it and uh, should definitely be watched. Do you find it odd that they called them kaiju in the movie? Eh, I figure we got a word for it. Why not use it? So yes, it is kind of odd. So so to kind of in in Japanese culture, those types of movies are, are called kaiju, right? The uh, the go, you know like Godzilla and stuff like that. You know they're called kaiju movies and stuff. And I found it odd. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen enough of like the previews and stuff like that and behind the scenes. That I was like, they actually call the big monsters kaiju in the movie. I was like, that's that's a little. I don't want to call it breaking the fourth wall, but I was like, that's a little weird. But, yeah, um, I mean they call they call them after the monster movies they call them kaiju. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll talk more about it later on after you guys get a chance to see it. Yeah. What other movies have come out? Um, R.I.P.D. I haven't seen that, and I hear it's a total bomb. Same here. Um, Lone Ranger haven't seen that. Hold it, heard it was. A, I, I heard that if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, then you've seen the Lone Ranger. <laughs> and and yeah. I I had a. Uh, talk with my trainer. My trainer Matt and I, we, we talk about movies a lot to the point where him and I've actually started to go see movies on the weekends. And he was asking me, he's like, "Man, they spent so much money on Lone Ranger; it's going to be huge." And I was like, "No, it's not." And he goes, "Really?" And I said, "Well, yeah, because people aren't interested in cowboys anymore, right? Cowboys had their heyday back in the day." And I was like, "Can you, li- you can you tell me the last cowboy movie that really made money?" And he was like, "Three Ten to Yuma." I was like, "Three Ten to Yuma didn't make any money, right? It was a good movie, didn't make any money." The last big cowboy movie was Unforgiven by uh, Clint Eastwood. That's right? exactly the one I was going to mention. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. the last big cowboy movie, and even that was years and years ago, right? There, cowboys are just not a big deal. If we're talking like forty years ago, yes, cowboys were a big deal. Not anymore. The one though. that recently was just remade from uh, the old uh, John Wayne movie. That didn't make any money. Oh, the uh, is that really a well? Yeah, you're talking about. Um, uh, True Grit. True Grit, yeah. I don't know if it made money. I mean, it was critically acclaimed, but critically acclaimed and making money are two very different things. Right? It's, um, let's see. We got, we got the power of the internet with us. So and I'm looking it up too. No, it made money. I mean, it didn't, it doesn't look like it had a huge production budget. It's only, uh, 38 million. 
and um, worldwide it made 250. So okay, yeah, I will say that was a success. I I, I will yield to you on that one, JJ. That was the uh, the last uh, big budget one. Woohoo! I win. But all right, now that we have it up. <laughs> Let's uh, let's take a look at the Lone Ranger and see how it's doing, right? So the Lone Ranger has uh, made 85 million domestically and 163 million worldwide. And how much did it cost to make? That's what I'm looking up. 215 million, and that's before yep. advertising. The rule so, of yeah. the rule of thumb is advertising is usually about half the production budget. Right. So cost close to 300 million to make and has not made. That even worldwide, it's barely made half of that worldwide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I haven't seen Lone Ranger. Haven't really been interested to see Lone Ranger, right? So, it is um, it is pretty much considered as big of a bomb for Disney as uh, John Carter was last year. There, there's a difference, though. What's the difference? I liked John. I liked John Carter. Oh, is that the only <laughs> difference? Yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed John Carter the movie actually. Um, it, I did actually, not John enjoy Carter, the Lone Ranger. John Carter the movie made me read John Carter the book or the Princess of Mars book and uh, made me want to read more of those books. Uh, That was really interesting to me. It's the first time that I think of me watching a movie made me go, I'd really rather read that book and just see what that was about. (laughs) Considering it was written in the the 1800s, so you're like, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's pretty impressive. And I, and like I said, I enjoyed the movie John Carter. Um, John Carter did make its money back worldwide, so it did even it did better than the Lone Ranger did, which is kind of scary. Really, did uh, it? Of course, it, Lone Ranger. Well, John so Carter far, made I mean, its Lone Ranger. It has, uh, yes, but that's you know lifetime grosses, so it's possible that Lone Ranger will eventually. Um, but uh, actually, someone wrote a book about the Hollywood accounting using John Carter as an illustration, which I, I have, but I haven't had a chance to read yet. But um, that talks about, you know, why John Carter could be considered a flop, even though it made money and so on and so on. It looks to be really interesting, and I'll go into it one of these days. Yeah, there are some voodoo economics when it comes to uh, some of the, uh, the the finances behind movies. You, you heard that famous one where, uh, di- who was it, uh, someone claimed that uh, Harry Potter 3 or something like that made money, or a lot was like lost a lot of money despite the fact that it made you know, five hundred million and only had a production budget of like one thirty or something like that, and but they still claim yes. they lost a lot of money off of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of articles online that talk about uh basically the studio screwing people out of out of royalties because uh of the way they attempt to account profits. A lot of it having to do with um you know, spinning off companies to quote unquote distribute the movie and then charging themselves in the form of these other companies distribute, you know, so there's all kinds of funniness going on with that. Um, and there's actually some very good articles on Ars Technica and Tech Dirt, uh, specifically about Hollywood accounting and some of those issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, movie I saw recently, saw The Conjuring. How was that? It was good. Um, the Conjuring, for people who don't know, is a horror movie. It is a horror movie in the vein of um, a Haunting in Connecticut or the Amityville Horror, and, and I mean that really. In, it is in that kind of line because it's based on the same people who investigate those quote-unquote true stories. Uh, their name being Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, I don't like Ed and Lorraine Warren very much in real life. I, uh, Ray Garten, who was a writer for the book that was used to make uh, A Haunting in Connecticut, talked about how they were basically a bunch of swindlers who wouldn't let him write about other stuff, and they, they knew that the stuff they were going into was fake and so on and so on and so on. And this movie 
you know, they're they're actually big parts of this movie. They're the big protagonists, or some of the big protagonists in this movie. And so that was a little jarring for me. But as a horror movie, um, I think uh, the first part of it was good, and I think much like these other movies, it suffered from some third act issues. The ghosts, I think, are almost always creepier before you show them. Uh, or if you, you know, use them very sparingly. Um, and I think that was very true of this movie also. Along th- that kind of series of movies, that kind of movie, I think this is one of the better ones. <clears throat> so it actually has pretty good ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. I know a couple of weeks ago it was, uh, it was at 86%, which is kind of shocking for, for a horror movie. Um, and it is, it is pretty decent. It's a decent movie. Um, there are some genuinely creepy bits. I uh, liked it up until the end, really. The ending, eh. but otherwise though, I'd say, yeah, check it out. It's a lean movie. It only cost them twenty million to make. They didn't spend much on on advertising, and they've made almost a hundred million. So I mean, it's making yep. money. It's it's doing well. Yep. My problem with this is, and, and this is going to seem like a really nitpicky thing. I think Patrick Wilson's gone to the well too much in this genre, right? So he was in Insidious. He's in Insidious Two, and he's now in The Conjuring. And these are all the same movie, right? Yeah. I don't. So I saw. I've you know, Insidious Two isn't out yet. I've seen previews for it now. I have no idea how that movie ties to Insidious. Oh, I I, I haven't. I'm not really a big horror film uh, fan. The only reason I'm a big Patrick Wilson fan is because he played Night Owl in Watchmen, and I love the Watchmen movie. Right. So I kind (laughs) of like whenever I see an actor who really like portrays a character I like really well, like uh, Rorschach or or Night Owl or something like that, I kind of follow them um, and kind of like um, um, Haley. Haley Earl, what's his name? The guy who played Rorschach. He was then, he played uh, Freddy in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of like follow these guys as they do their careers. But um, I see Patrick Wilson doing a bunch of these. I'm like, why? I mean, he's making money off of it. He's got to be. But it's just, you know, after doing Insidious and Insidious 2, why do The Conjuring? Why go back to that? Because they're the same movie. The Conjuring is better than Insidious, I'll say that. Um, I love horror movies. I watch horror movies whenever I can, and it's very, very rare to find a good horror movie um, ever. I think my favorite horror movie of all time is still the 1963 version of The Haunting, which I talked about on another podcast. Still, I think, is a good one. Um, And Conjuring, I think, is pretty solid. Um, Certainly, people in the theater were scared at various points, which which was fun. So, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. I guess I'm a fan of the classics. If we're talking about horror movies, my two favorite would have to be The Exorcist and Poltergeist. I mean, it's those are, I think, are really the you know the, the pinnacle of the genre. Poltergeist is up there for me. Yeah. So I like the Poltergeist. I am definitely not a big horror movie fan. So yeah. Any other movies we need to uh, talk about? Um, I will mention, Much Ado About Nothing had limited release, talked about it in the South by Southwest episode, it is worth watching, totally check it out, you know, either when it's at the theater or when it comes out, because it's a lot of fun. Okay. JJ, any other last minute uh, movie uh, recommendations? Not movie, but there's a couple TV things that I'd like to talk about, if we're there. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, I, and this might spin off into our gameplay because, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Defiance. Um, I don't know, did you, either of you watch Defiance at all? No, I, I watched some watch of it, Defiance. yeah. I watched okay. some of the Defiance, yes. So, I know, Carlos, you played the, played the game, right? I, I did. Okay, I did not play the game, but, uh, did watch the show. And both my wife and I enjoyed it. Um, I think it started off a little slow. Um, as kind of new shows sometimes do, but, uh, I think the end of the season was really great. Um, 
kind of left you hanging, kind of wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, some of the characters that you kind of fall in love with, you don't know what's going to happen to them, um, and has left a real cliffhanger. Unfortunately, they had, what, like four or five episodes, and there was, I mean, there uh, maybe 12 episodes, maybe total, and then there's nothing after that. I mean, it's like, it's like tune in next year. Uh, like next June, and I'm just like, really, right. we're going to wait that long for for the next season of this? So, I don't know, almost like Correct. a Doctor Who season where you're like, oh wow, I'm just getting into this Doctor Who season and it's over. Let's wait till next Christmas for the Christmas special. So, uh, anyway, uh, really liking that show and Continuum um, is something that I started this year. Um, the summer season or whatever, and uh, really like Continuum. Uh, again, started off pretty slow, and uh, his kind of it just kicked back in. I guess they're doing another half season of it or something, and uh, and uh, that the plot line of that I feel is getting getting real good. Sudden silence. So so oh, well, I was going to say, I don't know if you have anything else. Defiance, I enjoy the television series Defiance. Um, I thought that was interesting. It's not Firefly, because nothing is Firefly, but I no. think uh, for, a sci-fi, for a sci-fi original series, it's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I think uh, I enjoyed that show. Uh, video game also. Uh, we can talk more about that, about the video games, but um, the video game is a very good little first-person sci-fi shooter that you can kind of jump into, do something, and quit again without necessarily spending a lot of, you know, energy or time into it. Um, so, and it's, it's tie into the television show was a, was there, um, a little weak sometimes, but I thought that was an interesting thing that they tried to do where, um, you know, whether or not, you know, what generally in most situations, it was a very one way tie in something on the show affected something on the game. Right, you had mm. these characters come out on the show, and you know they got driven out, or they got exiled, or something happened where they had to leave the area of defiance. Well, they'd end up in the video game, and you know you do meet the stars uh, every now and then. Um, you meet uh, Nolan and Narissa a couple times uh, in in the game world because the game actually takes no place, does not take place in defiance at all. You never will go to defiance in that video game, um, but you will meet the people from defiance occasionally. That's a little weird. Interesting. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And for, and, and if you don't know, if you haven't seen Defiance, is a town, uh, old. What is it? Uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so anyway, Defiance is a town, kind of post-apocalyptic, after a bunch of alien races invade, um, and sort of sort of invade. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. This is their last resort. They kind of come to colonize too. And anyway, none of the races get along, and and. Uh, Everybody, the the mayor of the town is Dexter's wife, and you know it's weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I thought that was an interesting thing. Like it's a, it's a lot of ways. I think my favorite episodes are have to do with more like character interactions and character development and stuff like that. And I think in some episodes they do that really well, and some episodes they don't do it so much. Uh, the video game they don't do that at all. The video game is totally a shooter, uh, where you have different kinds of weapons, sometimes alien weapons, which are fun, and you get together and you do certain quest lines. But much like the game Rift, you have giant 
uh, arc falls, right? So the, the premise behind Defiance, you know, that JJ was alluding to, these alien races came to Earth because, you know, their system was going to be destroyed and they came to Earth because they thought that it was a habitable planet, not realizing that there were people there already. Well, they were negotiating with, with, with the Earth people and then some basically pro-human human people or anti-alien human people uh, assassinated some of the aliens and sparked off this big war and there and a lot of the alien ships were destroyed but they're still in orbit and every now and then something called an arc fall happens where all of the where parts pieces of alien technology from those ships will basically fall to earth and arc hunters have to go and gather up that tech right because they want to sell it or they want to use it or whatever 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 and that's part of like the first episode of defiance it doesn't really come up again well it does some it does somewhat it does. but not yeah. directly yeah towards it, the end not directly. towards the end of yes, the season the it, yes. it's very yeah it, that happens yes. again and becomes a big impact too so yes so a lot of the, the video game is chasing around arc falls and stuff like that which are giant area events, right? So all the people on the server will go to the Arc Falls and fight off because Arc Falls always bring in either raiders or those hell bugs that you see in the game, whatever, mm-hmm. and you'll have all these battles where they're all invading and you're trying to get the tech and the, they're coming in and you have to uh, fight them off. And then at the end, there's always like some big boss thing that comes up, like the giant mother hell bug you see in one of the episodes. You fight that in the video game um, and stuff like that. So it's it's fun. It is, it is fun uh, for a quick little kind of jump in and, and get out kind of thing. Cool. I I know this this isn't related to Defiance, but am I the only one who's a little concerned about the new Agents of Shield TV show? Yes. No, I don't know. I don't know what you're, what are you concerned about. <laughs> well, I, it, I'm concerned it's not going to be good. And it's probably it, a valid concern. I mean, just based off of the previews I've seen and and all the little clips and stuff, it's not really grabbing me. It's looking kind of blah. So, I mean, I, I just want to see what your guys' opinion is on that. I have I stayed really... away from all the previews. Yeah. I have intentionally not watched them. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not dreading it, but I'm just concerned about it. So, I just, I, I want it to be good. I want it to continue that Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I just get a feeling like it's not going to. So, we'll see. Only time will tell. Yep. For sure. All right. Any other news? Any other TV news? All right, let's move into uh, some gaming. You guys want to do tabletop gaming, or do you want to do some uh, video gaming? Which, you know, what's your poison? Uh, since we talked about Defiance, let's move to video gaming. Let's move sure. to video gaming. Um, we had the two new races for Wildstar revealed, the uh, Chua and the Mordesh. We got the little psychotic Furbies and uh, <laughs> space zombies, basically. Uh here the beta's going pretty well. I had uh, two friends get into the, uh, the the new stress test, and they said the stress test was just epic. That despite the fact that like servers were crashing, and they actually said that they melted at one server, like melted the RAM on one server, <laughs> the devs were constantly throwing stuff at them to fight and like having them switch to another zone to see if they could crash that zone. And my buddy got to play with housing a little bit, and he said housing was an absolute blast. They're tweaking time to kill TTK for creatures, so the combat feels a little snappier. Polish is coming together. The real question is, will it make the Christmas release? Because they're supposed to release a Q4 of this year. I'm doubtful, but we'll see. So, I know that's one that we're all kind of looking forward to, right? It's it's the question of what's going to be the next big thing? Because they were announced recently that WoW lost another what was it, 600-700,000 subscribers. Yeah. And they're back down to their 2007 numbers and, and dropping more and more. And they're prepping a new online 
microtransaction store. They're going to start doing some microtransactions and stuff. And so, yeah, WoW has not, you know, they haven't released anything major, and they really need to if they want to stay in the WoW in the MMO, you know, race there. Yeah, because what happened is everyone rushed through all the Pandaria stuff, and then then what? Yeah, and and that's the thing. The um, I forget his name, but I think it's um. Jim Gaffney, or the uh, the executive producer of Wildstar, he keeps talking about how in order to survive you have to be quick with content. And he's talking about how Rift is is kind of moving that way. Guild Wars kind of tried to do it but didn't accomplish it. And he says like the real model, the real people who push that content are Riot with League of Legends. And he said, you know, say what you want about them, but you know, every three weeks they're doing something with that content, new character, mm-hmm. map tweaks, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yep. so he said, you know, that's really the model. If you want to survive in this new brave world of, of hyper content, you've got to be able to push content out. And they're talking about pushing out content faster. I mean, one of the things I'm really um, encouraged about is how interactive the devs are with the, the populace. One of my buddies was talking about how, like, a zone was having a lot of problems, and then they got, like, a little pop-up from a dev saying, like, hey, we just didn't introduce the code fix live into the environment, so go to this zone now, and you should be able to get in there and do things. So... It sounds like they can do live switches or live things to the server without having to do like a massive reboot and kick everyone off. So, and and I, w- I will say that is common. Um, the devs are really involved in WildStar, um, and they're great and they're good to interact with. And, and I, I was about to say let's 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 color that correctly. The, that's common for WildStar, not common. That's what for, I mean. Yeah, not yes, common no, for a okay, lot of other for WildStar. Yeah. Yes. And I think that can only be good, right? Because they they listen to the fan reaction a lot. You know, a lot of people were concerned about TTK, Time to Kill, and then they really address that. And they're really trying to address the the problem of time sinks, right? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with your time after you hit level fifty? That's something that they're very, or whatever the max level is. That's something they're very keenly aware of, and that's why they're putting so much effort into. Like, I saw some video where a guy like had on his house plot. The piano from the movie Big, right? So a huge piano right. that you could run across, and a Ferris wheel. And yep. as soon as I saw that, I was talking to like my manager at work, and he was like, uh, "If I can just turn my house into a carnival and open it up to the public, I know what I'm doing with all my spare time." And it's that right there, right? Shit like that—that that you don't have to raid, you don't have to PvP, just spend all your time turning your house into like a public, you know, like you know, theme park, and people will do stuff like that, right? So. That's what it really comes down to is giving people appropriate time sinks and, and that will that can be your post max level content. We'll see. We haven't seen enough about war plots. That's another big, big deal that they're, you know, hyping up for. They're talking about how like, you know, war plots are these massive like bases you construct with defenses and offensive structures and then you plop your war plot down to another guild's war plot and you fight each other. And they're talking about like, oh, and you can release a raid boss to go fight them. And I was like, Whoa, you can release a raid boss to go fight like a you know, the guild that you're fighting with? That's a little unique and different. So We'll see what they do with war plots. That's another one of their big things. Of course, they're going to have arena stuff. They're going to have battleground stuff. And they're talking about they're going to have 40-man raid content, right? And that's going to be for their elite raiders, right? They're like, it's going to be hard. We're not going to sugarcoat it, right? And people are like, you know, oh, you're going to have a sliding difficulty? And they're like, no, no. It's going to have one difficulty, and that's really, really difficult. Right. And so we'll see. I I mean, it's got the – I think it's got the pieces to the puzzle – can it put it all the pieces together though? That's you know only time will tell. So, do, Carlos, do you think they'll make it in time for the Christmas release? Uh, it seems unlikely. 
Yeah, I don't I'm think they not will. Entirely certain that they will. I don't think they will either. But I know we're all anticipating it. And for some reason, they yes. follow us on Twitter, and I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> all right, can we take a break real quick? Yeah. So here's what we're gonna do, guys. Um, we it's been a while since we've been taught podcasting, so we're gonna end the episode here. Um, so you know, we'll, if you we'll we'll do the you know normal thing. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're cotb one, and you can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com uh, and stuff. Um, and you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. After we take our break, I'm gonna stop the recording. We're gonna start again, and we're gonna do another episode, cover all the stuff we haven't covered so far. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording now, and we'll take a break, and we'll come back. Thanks for listening.